Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to Party Day. We are celebrating the 35th anniversary of the Media Research Center with our big gala tonight in D.C., our Night of the Unwoke celebration. Yes, from modest beginnings in a townhouse in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia, in the fall of 1987, we have become America's media watchdog. We'll be celebrating again uh, tonight the winners of our first annual Bulldog Awards for the best of the conservative media. And we'll be celebrating the house that the Brents built. Yes, Brent Bozell and Brent Baker were here at the beginning. Let's start at the very beginning. Uh, And also, uh, a little tip of the Detroit Tigers cap to our fundraiser, Larry Gourlay, who has also been here the entire 35 years. I started on February 1, 1989, so I'm the next codger in the seniority line. And I'm still here because it's a fun and important place to be. So I thought we'd celebrate today the MRC's history by digging into our old Brent Baker manual from 1994. It's titled, How to Identify, Expose, and Correct Liberal Media Bias. Snappy little yellow paperback we self-published. It might be hard to find today. Try to find it on eBay. It's pretty rare, uh, but this was the most relevant and timeless part of the book, and that is the types of media bias. Uh, Back then, we rounded up a list of seven categories. Surely there are other tactics the media employ, but these give anybody a good start. When we start saying, well, how do we identify media bias? You know, what are the tricks of the trade? Well, we'll start with the most obvious one. We call it bias by commission. And that is what we see every day. You know, just sort of this aggressive, committing liberal bias. Saying liberal stuff everybody knows is liberal. You know, at the beginning, we were often discussing their spin about how somehow only tax cuts cause deficits. You know, it's not the spending increases. Nope. Reagan cut taxes which was disastrous because it caused deficits. Pay no attention to the spending side of the ledger or how they tried to claim in the 80s and the 90s, in the Reagan-Bush years, um, and even under Gingrich when Gingrich came in in 95. Oh, they were vicious cuts, real or proposed, in Social Security or Medicare, when often what you actually had in proposal were an actual reduction in the growth rate. But they would describe it as a Medicare cut when you were proposing a smaller growth. You know, this, was, this is just one of the things that Democrats do. Democrats charge the Republicans with hating Social Security, and this was something they were very eager to do. They're still doing this a little bit with Senator Rick Scott, trying to claim somehow he's all about cutting Social Security and Medicare, It's an old Democrat spin line and a new Democrat spin line. Uh, Today, we have Curtis Houck in the morning show celebrating the county sheriff, the Texas county sheriff, who wants to investigate the governor of Florida on ABC's Good Morning America. Former Clinton official George Stephanopoulos began 
immigrant showdown. Overnight, a new criminal investigation targeting Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who flew that group of migrants to Martha's Vineyard. This as new numbers show record apprehensions at the border. All right, well, the last part's good. Let's acknowledge, well, I mean, I guess it makes Biden sound good, right? Record apprehensions at the border, like he's doing something? No, no, no. We have record in, you know, uh, immigration at the border, rampant illegal immigration at the border. But this is just the fascinating thing, that they're going to somehow promote some obscure county sheriff in Texas who wants to launch a quote-unquote criminal investigation of Ron DeSantis. What on earth, what crime did Ron DeSantis commit? He put some illegal immigrants on a plane to Martha's Vineyard. This does not sound like some sort of vicious torture, does it? Well, ABC was not alone. Over on Today, NBC came off as stoked, said Curtis Houck. They had this tease from co-host Hoda Kotb. New twist, a criminal investigation now launched into those surprise flights carrying migrants to Martha's Vineyard. Just ahead, the sheriff, who says they were lured under false pretenses. A criminal probe. You know, this is... This is the way they hype things. Ron DeSantis. Let's put that next to the word criminal. You know, this is the same thing they would do with Trump under criminal investigation. They won't say Trump under Democrat investigation. This would make it sound like what it actually is. All right. The partner to bias by commission is bias by omission. This is the big dog of bias when the Democrats are in power. We all organize and say, okay, our big trend now is going to be, what do they not want to say? What are they not going to cover? Uh, in the book, we, we quoted from CBS reporter Betsy Aaron at an early media, uh, 1992 media conference where she said, the largest opinion is what we leave out. It sounds simplistic, but I always say worry about what you're not seeing. What you are seeing, you can really criticize because you're smart and you have opinions. But if we don't tell you anything and we leave whole areas uncovered, that's the danger. Yes, exactly. And this is always something we're looking for. You know, back then, for example, we cited Nelson Mandela, who came to the United States in 1990 after he was freed from prison. Well, nobody was going to mention Nelson Mandela was active in the South African Communist Party. Well, we don't need to remind anybody of that. And maybe when Nelson Mandela became the president of South Africa, it didn't become the People's Republic. It didn't turn it into a communist dictatorship. But that certainly was his record. I mean, Nelson Mandela had a record of... of of Communist Party activism and also a record of the, the African National Congress, which he was a part of, was engaged in violent activities. Well, we're not going to remember any of that. Everything was like, no, 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 he's uh, Martin Luther King. Um, you know, we're going to make this very, uh, what's the word? We're going to make it look good. We're going we're gonna to perfume him. We're going to make him look good. Now, today, uh, obviously, one of the things we always talk about by bias by omission is Hunter Biden. We go many days in a row with no mention of Hunter Biden or the Hunter Biden laptop. It's why we were shocked when it came up briefly 
on the 60 Minutes interview that Scott Pelley had with the president, but it was, of course, very puketastic. In 1972, President Joe Biden lost his wife and daughter in a car crash. In 2015, Joe Biden lost his son, Bo, to brain cancer. And now, oh, the Republicans, those vicious people, are threatening to investigate Hunter Biden. Well, actually, he's under investigation by the Justice Department. Uh, the U.S. attorney in Delaware, this probe, while it was, it's been going on for years and nobody mentioned it, it was pretty much secret. It's almost like it's still secret the way they don't really want to talk about it. Uh, most recently, the New York Magazine, which is a liberal magazine, which never resisted attacking Trump. You'll remember New York Magazine touted the rape allegations of E. Jean Carroll against Trump, for example. Olivia Nuzzi of New York Magazine would show up at a press conference in 2020 and suggest to Donald Trump's face that he had killed tens of thousands of people or that tens of thousands of people had died on his watch like it was the Vietnam War and basically suggested how could someone who'd caused this many deaths or had this many deaths on his watch continue as president. Olivia Nuzzi, not going to try this today. How many people have died of covid under President Biden, nobody's going to suggest he is responsible for a single one of those. They did this all the time to Trump. They don't do it now with Biden. That would be rude. Uh, but now she has written a whole big cover story for New York Magazine about the Hunter Biden laptop. The saga, the sordid saga of Hunter Biden's laptop. Now is the sordid part all the Trump people who are spreading it around, like Rudy Giuliani, or is the sordid part the news media trying to suggest this wasn't a story that anybody should do? But she's sort of tackling the whole story and digging into it. Well, this is another reason why the networks could do stories on the Hunter Biden laptop. They could be interviewing Olivia Nuzzi on the, on the cable news networks. Well, let's not expect there's going to be much of that because what they usually like to do is omit then there's Kevin Tober noted on Tuesday, Fox News national correspondent Bill Malugin reported, Customs and Border Control revealed 12 people on the FBI terrorist watch list were arrested crossing the southern border in, from Mexico during the month of August. In fiscal year 2022, this brings the total number of illegal immigrants on the terror watch list crossing our border to 78 terrorists Hey, there were only 19 terrorists who hijacked the four jets and caused 9-11. You would think this would be a story. It was a story on Fox News, and it was not a story anywhere else. Notice how some things the FBI are investigating, like Trump at Mar-a-Lago, are a massive story, and other stories that the FBI's terrorist watch list mentioned here, hmm, not so much. On to bias by story selection. Now, we often associate this with studies or reports that groups put out. Uh, back in 94, we were remembering a story a week before the 1992 election where Dan Rather came on and said, everyone knows the rich got richer in the 1980s. Now a new study shows how dramatic the change was. And then it was, according to the Economic Policy Institute, more than half of America's new wealth went to the richest one-half of 1% of families. 
Okay, and then they're not going to explain. They, they, uh, NBC then called the EPI independent. They did an independent study. They were nonpartisans. Look, the, the EPI was hardly independent. It was founded by Robert Reich, who became Clinton's labor secretary, and a guy named Jeff Foe, a former aide to Michael Dukakis. The EPI was often funded by labor union money, and yet their study is promoted a week before the election to basically make Bush look bad, uh, a study done by a bunch of Democrats bias by story selection. Now we can look at this also when it comes to uh, modern day things. Column this week was about Jake Tapper putting on uh, a man from Pen America, which again they just suggested was a nonprofit literary group. Jonathan Friedman is uh, in charge of free expression and education at Penn. Once again presented as nonpartisans, when it's, a, uh, an, again, an attack on conservatives. Oh, we have conservatives in the red states trying to ban books. We're not going to explain to you in this story selection what we should omit, which is explicit sex and cartoons of sex, like in a book called Gender Queer. Ah, yes, let's look at a comic book with oral sex scenes. Uh, never mind. Oh, oh, an explicit menstruation uh, illustrations. Oh, gee, why would you not want the 12-year-olds to read this comic book called a graphic novel? Story selection. So they love uh, studies that liberal groups put out, and then they present them as nonpartisan, which we'll get to in a minute. Also, you could consider it I, one of my favorite things, bias by scandal selection. Um, you know, consider the way that they constantly now select January 6th, January 6th, January 6th. And then when they're in between, Pelosi picked panel hearings. Oh, Rita Marlago, Rita Marlago, Rita Marlago. Or consider a few years ago, Stormy and Avenatti, Stormy and Avenatti, Stormy and Avenatti at infinitum for months. This is quite the contrast with no Hunter Biden, no Hunter Biden, no Hunter Biden. Now, this is also what you'd consider omission and commission. But it's about agenda setting. It's what stories should be considered historic with a capital H and which stories should be destined for the ash heap of history. They don't even make history because nobody remembers them. Now, sometimes their own obsessions fall apart, a.k.a. Avenatti, or see the steel dossier and the P-tapes. Sometimes their, their story selection, very, very partisan. Then there is bias by placement, a pattern of placing news stories so as to downplay information supportive of conservative views. This is something we usually would apply to newspapers more than TV news. You know, when the newspapers play up a story on the top of page one, that sends a signal to the TV news creators. This is the hot scoop, guys. You guys should be leading the news with this A1 story. Now, by contrast, Stories embarrassing to the Democrats might end up on, oh, page A27, or perhaps C8. Now, this would also, bias by placement, could hold, uh, hold to placement within a story. You know, in many stories, the conservative rebuttal to a liberal theme may appear in paragraph 25. We noted back in the day when How to Identify Exposing Correct Liberal Media Bias came out, 
Robert Rector, a poverty expert at the Heritage Foundation, laughs at his regular slot in Washington Post stories in studies on studies released by liberal groups. Rector regularly appears in one of the last paragraphs and that the Post then considers fair and balanced. This was often uh, the story by a guy named Spencer Rich, uh, who would do these stories that often appeared on the federal page of the Post. So he would do a story, for example, on the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities, and the whole story would be on the liberal study. And then in the second to last paragraph, Robert Rector gets to say the liberal study is full of beans. So bias by placement is placement of stories and then also the placement of rebuttal in stories. Now, sometimes, again, you have bias by omission. There is no conservative rebuttal in the story. All right, next on the list, bias by the selection of sources. This can apply to politicians and government officials. How many Republicans get a soundbite in a story? Right now, not many. You know, you can listen to these top-of-the-hour newscasts on national public radio and try to listen for them actually including a Republican viewpoint and especially a Republican soundbite. I mean, what you're going to get now is a story on January 6th and the Republican soundbites Liz Cheney or Kinzinger. This was the way it was in the Bush years. It would be, oh, there's a Republican soundbite in our newscast, but it's Richard Luger attacking Bush. You know, (laughs) so, you know, the sound of these newscasts today, at least on NPR, is like, Joe Biden today will blow his nose and it's going to be fabulous. I mean, it's or I mean, and I'm, I'm overdoing it, but it's sort of like, the president will give a speech to the United Nations today. You know, and it's like it's a press release service. That's just the sound of it. This can also apply to capital E experts, which usually skew to the left, right? They have these, let's select all of our favorite sources that we'll call nonpartisan. They're liberal experts. They will all say Donald Trump is a disaster who's ruining the country. Then, of course, there's the bias by the selection of anonymous sources. We know how that works out. The anonymous sources are usually were there to rip Trump. You know, now it's sort of like sources inside the White House say Biden made an excellent point. That's kind of this is kind of the way they're using anonymous sources now in some of these stories, which is to sort of underline or undergird the Biden spin by citing anonymous sources inside the White House who defend Biden. Uh, Biased by the selection of sources can also apply to the man on the street interviews. Uh, you know, back when uh, Rich Noyes was analyzing Trump on the evening news, he would try to exclude all sound bites by politicians and officials of both parties because viewers would invest more credibility in those experts and then in the regular folks. Now, back here when we were doing the book, the how-to book, Mr. Baker noted a study we did on CBS economics reporter Ray Brady. Now, Ray Brady was a guy who was always sounding doom and gloom notes on Reagan and Bush and their supposedly terrible economic performance. Back then, we did a study of all the regular folks that were quoted in Ray Brady's stories. And what we found was 74% of the men and women on the street were negative about the state of the economy and only 8% were positive. So this is, even when they're talking to the regular folks, they can be very selective about which regular folks they use. This is where people would always feel like, isn't this how they do the polls? 
They only ask questions of the Democrats and say that the Democrats are doing great. Now, they tr- pollsters try to randomize it, but we do have that polling bias problem now where you call a Republican household and say, I'm with the Washington Post poll. Click! Now, you shouldn't do that. If you ever get a question or a, a, a phone call from a liberal pollster or a liberal-sounding pollster, take the poll. Get in there. Put the conservative Republican view in there. Don't hang up. Now, I'm looking right now at an AP story that just came out on the Wisconsin Senate race between Ron Johnson and his opponent, Jesse Mandela Barnes, who calls himself Mandela Barnes. And then the Republicans are quoted in the story, but they are like Republican pollsters or, or analysts who are complaining about how Trump could ruin the Republicans' chances with independent voters. They quote two Wisconsinites who have voted Republican before, but vow they're not doing it this time because of abortion. Now, it'd be kind of funny if you voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and didn't quite realize that he was going to nominate a bunch of justices who were anti-abortion. He explicitly promised he was going to do that. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's kind of funny now. They're just, it's, they really want to pump this whole idea. Oh, Ron Johnson's in trouble. Now, if you look at the polls right now, I mean, they went through the entire last race he was in in 2016, saying Ron Johnson was toast. If you look at the latest polls, Johnson is ahead by one or Johnson is ahead by four. But the tone of it makes you sound like, oh, Mandela Barnes is on the march. Always be skeptical when they tell you the, things are going badly for the Republicans. Sometimes they are. But a lot of times, again, bias by spin. This is where we go. That's the next subject here. Bias by spin. When there is a, sort of an objective fact or a speech, or an event, or a poll, we can often see energetic spin. Back in 94, we were remembering when Thurgood Marshall retired from the Supreme Court in 1991. He was touted as a guardian of individual rights. And when Clarence Thomas was nominated to succeed him, somehow he was not for individual rights. Now, obviously, conservatives and libertarians would say, well, this seems pretty cockeyed. Because Thurgood Marshall was basically a socialist, Thurgood Marshall was very much in favor of massive affirmative action and quotas. This is what Clarence Thomas was not for, which is why they hated him. Clarence Thomas, as a Supreme Court justice, has been a stalwart for individual rights in the conservative view of things. But, you know, when you're a liberal, individual rights mean the right to smoke weed, the right to get an abortion, the right to sodomy. You know, they're all thinking about the individual rights they hold dear and not about individual rights per se. Then when Byron White resigned from the court in 1993, Joan Biscupic, then at the Washington Post, wrote, this could tilt toward a broader interpretation of individual rights. Yes, now we have Ruth Bader Ginsburg, guardian of individual rights. (sighs) Bias by spin. Today we could pick on Biden with this set of speeches, harsh speeches, and mega Republicans are shaking the foundations of democracy. And yet somehow the bias by spin becomes, well, we're going to allow the idea that Joe Biden is still a unifier. He gets to mourn with Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes. Oh, Mr. President, politics aren't civil anymore. Isn't that sad? 
yeah, Joe Biden gets to say Republicans are Jim Crow 2.0, or they make Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle, and they still spin Biden as the unifier. That is bias by spin. And now comes one of my favorites, bias by labeling, which we kind of hinted at earlier. Now, this is persnickety stuff. This might be considered nitpicking, but it is also omnipresent. If This is one of those subtle things they do, or as Baker put it, it's attaching a label to conservatives but not to liberals, using more extreme labeling for conservatives than for liberals, identifying a liberal group as an expert or as independent or nonpartisan, when they're not independent or nonpartisan. My first studies at the Media Research Center for the old Media Watch newsletter when I started were about labeling. So we would get a Nexus printout on this ancient Nexus machine and it would print out this thing line by line. So I would have this big, thick sheaf of newspaper stories from the Washington Post and the New York Times. And we would compare. Oh, Labeling of the Heritage Foundation. Well, the Heritage Foundation was identified as conservative, and I'm just going off the top of my head. But usually this was the way. Conservative groups were, would be identified as conservative 35, 40, 45% of the time, which is accurate. The Heritage Foundation is conservative. And then we compared it to the Brookings Institution, which you'd see as center-left. Certainly more now even you might see them as center-left. Um, and they were almost never labeled anything. It was just Brookings has a study. Then we compared the National Organization for Women, which was a much bigger deal in 1989, 1990, than they are now. You know, people almost forget they exist now. But back then, we compared it to Concerned Women for America, which was the upstart then, the conservative women's group. Well, CWA, uh, CWA was going to get labeled again, 40, 50% of the time in, in newspaper stories. These aren't editorials. These are newspaper stories in the New York Times, the Washington Post. Uh, and of course, I think the sample of CWA was very small. It was like 40 or 50 stories. But our sample of stories citing the National Organization for Women, I want to say there were about 700, 700 stories citing now. And I believe the, the amount of labels you could count on one hand. All right. So they would be presented all the time, basically, as just a women's group. And they would use these are the labels they use women's groups, women's rights groups, civil rights groups, maybe abortion rights groups. Right. The NAACP almost never, ever, 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 ever labeled liberal. We did that study. Somehow always nonpartisan civil rights group, voting rights group. Green groups, the Sierra Club, almost no label, environmental group. And so, you know, one of Tim Graham's maximum on labeling, the epic political battles of our times are between the ultra-conservatives and the non-partisans. Now, the extreme labeling of a conservatives is not the normal. It's not, you know, 50% of the labels are extreme conservative, but it's not uncommon that they use far-right, hard-right, extreme-right, ultra-conservative, ultra-right, alt-right. You know, they, they, they do these labels that are basically warnings to people. And that's exactly what's missing. You know, nobody, nobody is going to call the National Organization for Women hard-left, far-left, 
ultra-liberal. These were words that just were not used. And you can also do this to politicians. Republicans are being tagged as right-wingers or hard right-wingers. And people like Ted Kennedy or Howard Metzenbaum would get no liberal label. And it would be like, oh, come on! Or when they would use the word liberal, it would be, Ted Kennedy's a liberal lion. You know, that's liberal lion in a good way, not the lion that paws you uh, or seeks to, you know, bite your head off. Now we have this with uh, Mr. Tellis in Las Vegas who stabs a reporter and he's just an elected county official. We don't have a label. See, so it's a party label. So there's an ideological label. There's a party label. A lot of times when Democrats get caught in scandals, we would joke to people. You can tell it's a Democrat scandal because they'll say tonight a politician's in a scandal, no party employed, no party label. This happens a lot with every, pretty much every black congressman, black Democrat who's been caught in a scandal. Back, going back to William Cold Cash Jefferson of Louisiana, all the way forward, Jesse Jackson Jr. Now you could guess which party Jesse Jackson Jr. belonged to. But there's just this whole habit of when the Democrats are in a scandal, there's no party label. You could also apply this to certain words, or you know, like controversial. You know, I read several books by William Simon, who was the Treasury Secretary in the Ford years, and he said, they called me controversial so much I thought it was my first name. Controversial, William Simon said today. Now, you could also apply labeling bias to the labeling of legislative proposals. So, of course, yes, who could oppose the Clean Air Act? Who could oppose the Civil Rights Act? Or back in the 90s, you know, the Civil Rights Restoration Act. You know, they, they use this. And then on the other hand, you know, you, you're never going to call Republican bills by their names, right? The Economic Recovery Tax Act was Reagan. They called it, you know, uh, I don't know. What would they call the tax cuts? Reaganomics. That was one of the words they used. They used Reaganomics all the time when the economy wasn't doing well, like uh, there was some recession in 81 and 82. And Baker did this great uh, study later that showed the use of the word Reaganomics like vanished once the economy started to recover. Okay, this is the clever things they do. Now, they do do this to conservative bills. Let's go back to, of course, Ron DeSantis, today's Hitler, by their lights. The Don't Say Gay Bill. Was that the name that they gave it? No. In fact, it's, not an, ina- it's, not, it's an inaccurate label. Basically, the bill said, Thou shalt not teach kids about gay sex in kindergarten. That was called Don't Say Gay. But they've done these polls now where a lot of Democrats actually think that what the bill says is you can't say the word gay in the classroom. That is not what the bill says. But when you use the words don't say gay in news stories, well, it's sort of implied, isn't it? You could also apply it to a label like, oh, election deniers. This is a hot new one. Okay, and it's not necessarily inaccurate when Donald Trump says, I deny that Biden won. It's kind of an election denier. Okay, but guess what? Republicans are election deniers. And what is Stacey Abrams? Somehow she's not an election denier. And then the final one on our list from 1994 that still works today, 
bias by policy endorsement or condemnation. Yes, sometimes news outlets explicitly favor liberal policies. You know, back in 94, we had reported uh, after going through on Nexus, Time Magazine, Time Magazine explicitly recommended an increase in the gas tax at least 25 times over a four-year period. It was so common, we were like, we need to go back and count this. And it was not like a four-cent increase in the gas tax. It was usually them recommending like a 50-cent or a dollar increase in the gas tax. Because the climate, you know. They named Earth their planet of the year. And that's what needed a massive carbon tax. Now, let's remember that right now when gas is, you know, they're touting, oh, it's down to $3.99. <laughs> okay, let's add a dollar tax on it. That's what Time Magazine wants. It's a Green New Deal, people. Uh, later, the media touted whatever you want to call it, Clinton Care or Hillary Care back in 93 and 94. The media were very explicit in favoring that and attacking people who didn't favor that. And then came Obamacare. That Hillary Care did not pass. Obamacare did pass with all Democrat votes, no Republican votes. And the media still endorse and favor and advocate Obamacare. By contrast, we get to George W. Bush. The media condemned the war on terror, every piece of it. They condemned holding terrorist suspects at Guantanamo Bay. This was outrageous and terrible. Oh, and guess what? It's still happening. Still happening under Biden. Happened for eight years under Obama. Under Bush, it was like, when will this end, this nightmare of human rights? And then Obama gets in and, eh, Guantanamo, still open. Well, we're not upset anymore. So to wrap, you know, Baker tried to explain there were certain things that we would consider that were not exactly biased. So, for example, when something is explicitly labeled an opinion piece or a commentary, I mean, we could take exception to it, but the, uh, that the writer or the speaker is not intending to give you an objective news product. If, if, it's if it's on the editorial page or it's explicitly labeled on screen as a commentary, different rules apply could still attack it as stupid, but it's not attempting to be objective. It is not necessarily biased if reporters accurately report a Republican mistake or a gaffe, even though we know they love pouncing on those. Sometimes Republicans make mistakes, and it is objective to report those mistakes. You know, it's objective to report, for example, you know, uh, they, uh, a bombing of the embassy in Beirut under Reagan. We lost a pile of Marines in the bombed a barracks uh, in Lebanon, in Beirut. Um, that happened. You obviously report that. Then the spin comes in when you suggest somehow that's Reagan's fault or that that's why we should elect Clinton because Reagan was terrible in Beirut. That's the kind of spin that we had even in 92. And then it's not biased if one side gets more time uh, they, they get more than equal time because, for example, the Democrats have the presidency. So they get, you know, a 80-minute State of the Union and there's a five-minute Republican rebuttal. Well, that's just kind of baked in the cake. It's sort of the way it goes. That that's, you know, you can't really complain that's, that's imbalanced. Like, oh, well, now the Republicans get an 80-minute rebuttal to the 80-minute State of the Union. I don't know if anybody even wants that. But it's, you know, there are certain things where there's going to be unequal time for a reason. 
Um, now, if the next day you come on and you do this State of the Union coverage and the sound bites are all Democrats and people brought on for interviews are all Democrats, then we're back to, again, biased by, by source selection. So, uh, you know, we should always have to consider when we complain about media bias that, the, that it's reasonable, that it is a violation of them trying to be objective. I mean, I guess these days, are they really trying to be objective most of the time? You know, when you when you attempt some sort of fairness or balance now, you get attacked. Oh my gosh, CNN's going to move to the center. We're going to have both sidesism. They hate that. That's people who favor liberal media bias. They don't like the idea of some sort of space where both sides get to make their points. That might sound like democracy. They say they're in favor of democracy. Let's guess what? They're not. They're in favor of a very stilted democracy where Democrats always win and Democrats get the majority of the airtime. That's what we get from liberal networks. And that's why you come to Newsbusters. That's why you've come to the Media Research Center for 35 years. And it continues. And it goes on. And you come once, twice, 24 times a day. Thank you for all your support over the long time the MRC has been here. Thank you very much.